All right. Last week we started Old Testament words, and then this week we're going to roll into New Testament word singular. Really, there's only one word that you've got to be concerned about in the New Testament. But they, it really takes, the New Testament word really takes all these different words that we find in the Old Testament and kind of uses all those nuances and meanings over into, you just have to figure out the context and you'll figure out the word. But the New Testament word, sozo, that we'll look at, most of the time it comes from this word, um, yesha. In fact, I wrote it down there for you, 60% of the time when they wrote the Septuagint, they just translated it straight into sozo. You remember some of these old words. It's not necessary that you, you remember them all. Natsal, separate, and plat, malat. All of them slightly different. Um, those two words were important. One means to redeem, and this last word here has to do with deliverance from slavery. But anyway, you've got all these words working together to give you a concept of salvation in the Old Testament. There's no need in going over those words because you're not going to remember them but you will see those concepts used in regard to our salvation in the New Testament. Okay? Is that helpful? So you get to the New Testament. Uh, there's your word, sozo. Uh, and then you have all, you have it in verb, uh, verb form. You have it in noun forms, and I'll show you some of those. But this is always the root word. Saved, saved, savior, salvation. It's all based off of this one root. Okay? Uh, but, you know, Matthew 1.21 is so critically important for our soteriology. What does this passage teach you about salvation? I mean, if this is all we had, you got to understand you're going to come away with a great understanding about salvation just based off this verse. A lot of times, understanding what it doesn't say helps you to understand the significance of what it does say. What does it not say? Hey, man, you're good. Here you go, Tyler. Okay. That's a direction I wouldn't pick, but it's certainly there. It's not a political thing. It's a sin. It deals with the issue of sin. It doesn't say there's anything for these people to do to achieve salvation from their sin. Okay, that's interesting. What do you base that on? Because if you don't find anything for us to do on that passage, how do you, where's the grammar? Where's the words that you're going to base it? Because it says Jesus, it says he will save us from our sins. Right. So he's doing it. Okay. And again, notice the verb where Jeremy's at. Will save, what does that not say? May save. May save, might save, offer salvation. None of that's there in this passage. This is a very definite thing that Jesus will accomplish. Okay, I will save. I will not make the offer of salvation. I doesn't say I, I might save or I, I'm going to try. It doesn't say I will save. So you learn that just from the grammar, that it, salvation is the work of a sovereign God who always accomplishes His will. Anyway, I didn't mean to get theological here. But again, here's the root. Very familiar passage uh, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Um, 
Notice the verse tense. Here's a different one. This is in a noun form, not a verb form. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then here's one that you're probably familiar with. Uh, again, noun form. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, noun masculine. Right, Cody? I believe that's right. Uh, Noun form, masculine. All right, so that's really the only word that we'll deal with in the New Testament, and we'll look at it theologically. But Zimic here, and I probably should put this somewhere on this video at some point in time, we're doing everything that we're doing based off of his work. But he pauses to give really a, what he calls a preliminary synthesis of Old Testament salvation, New Testament salvation. In other words, if... and I. I found this useful in preaching before. I'm going to give you the, what it looks like when I get to my conclusion. And then once you got the, the finished picture, then I'm going to back up and give you all the parts. And so he kind of does that because soteriology or salvation is so important. He's like, let me just paint the whole picture for you, and then I'll go back and put the parts together. So really, we're reading the last chapter tonight, and then we'll go back and put all the pieces together so we can come to the same conclusion. But I want to give you some Bible verses. Um, did that work? So, and really I'm going to ask you questions. And just like you guys just read that passage, I want you to give me some conclusions that we can draw. This is biblical theology, okay? We're looking at a passage and we're letting it speak to us. It's saying what it says and we've got to include that in what we think. Okay? Does that make sense? So Isaiah 43, 11, what does that say that we can put in our theological bank in the Old Testament? Because it's an Old Testament passage. There's only one Savior, and He is God. All right, let's think about what it doesn't say. What does that not say about us? We're not God, therefore we cannot what? Save. Again, I mean, you take one passage and go a long way with that. You're not your Savior. And you don't work in conjunction with Him to work out your salvation. He alone does all the saving. And so when you find all these words in the Old Testament, the one doing the work is always going to be Yahweh. It's always going to be God. It's not going to be people. Okay? Um, so, a little more specifically, I'll scroll slowly. Let me see if I make it a little smaller. All right, there's a little more of the passage. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remem remember your abundant kindnesses, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he, Yesha, he saved them for the sake of his name, that he might make his power known. Thus he rebuked the Red Sea and it dried up and he led them through the deeps as through the wilderness. So he saved them, Yesha, from the hand of the one who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. Now, first question is, who's the enemy? Egypt. Egypt's the enemy, right? We're talking about God delivering them uh, from slavery through the Red Sea and all through here, did they do anything 
They rebelled. That was it. And yet God worked a mighty deliverance in the midst of their rebellion. Uh, kind of like what Eli said, right, Cody? Cody asked him, why'd you save me? Eli said, because he wanted to. And that's the only conclusion that you can draw from this passage. <laughs> they didn't do anything but bring their rebellion to the Red Sea and God saved them, okay? Simply because he wanted to. All right, so he delivers from Egypt and then <clears throat> this one will be a little more difficult. You have to think back a little further. Fear not, O Jacob, people of God, my servant, declares the Lord. Do not be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar and your offspring from the land of their captivity. So here we are again in captivity. And Jacob will return and will be quiet and at ease and no one will make him afraid. So who is working out salvation? Come on, y'all. God, thank you. Anybody remember where they're at? In captivity. I mean, it was either Egypt or just a couple of places. Babylon. Babylon. Okay, good. And then the last one here. O hope of Israel, its Savior, and again, there's a, there's a form. Its Savior in time of distress, why are you like a stranger in the land or like a traveler who has pitched his tent for the night? So who's saving? God. And what is he saving them from? Don't think too hard. Distress. Bring that in the New Testament. Who saves you from your distresses and anxieties? It's God. God's always your Savior. We're not. You know, you get to the theology of this, okay, and, and you find yourself in trouble. What is the only thing you need to be concerned with? What activity? What do you think? Okay, don't go that far. <laughs> Trust. Okay, how do we express trust in God? Obedience. <laughs> you guys are too sharp. <laughs> too sharp. The one thing I tell you, we just don't do enough of. Yes. I wanted the fourth grade answer and y'all were giving me the twelfth grade answer. I mean, really, he's the Savior. He saves his people. Why don't we spend more time in prayer? I mean, why are we, why are we reading books? Why are we calling other people? Why are we doing... All? I don't want to neglect counsel. I realize that we all need counsel at times, but really, why aren't we pouring our heart out to God more often? So anyway, you come to this conclusion, and here's this conclusion for us, and I want you to come to your own conclusion. In the majority of the Old Testament references, salvation, when it's in the context of people being saved from something, it's always the hand of the sovereign work of God. It is Yahweh who saves His people from fill-in-the-blank. It's always Him. Okay? Is that helpful? All right. It's a good reminder, right? It's always Him. He's always faithful. Okay, so I don't know how many of these that I put in here. Okay, I do remember what this passage is about. This one's kind of tough. Uh, what does this passage teach us about the salvation of the Lord? 
I'll highlight a word in just a second that I want you to pay attention to, but you ready for your highlight? Not that. What does this te teach us about God's salvation? Specific. In what real in what respect? In time. In time. That's important when we think about Calvary. You do realize the day Jesus died, you were saved. It was on that day, right? And then from the Holy Spirit's perspective, it was on whatever date on the calendar that you came to the understanding of the gospel and repented and believed, right? Or we could look at that day in which our Lord returns in the sky and then we finally and fully experience our salvation because the majority of salvation in the New Testament is always looking forward to that day, right? And we think about saved past tense, but the majority of the reference in the, in the New Testament is a future tense salvation. We're going to be saved. But, you know, it really depends upon when you want to consider this. I mean, if you want to go back in eternity past when God chose you, you're saved before time began. If you want to look at it, the grand historical moment on the calendar, when Jesus breathed his last, you were saved. Or if you want to look at that moment in which you repented and believed from the Holy Spirit perspective, we've got the whole Trinity at work there, right? It was on that day you came saved. But then technically none of us have been saved yet because we're still waiting on our Savior to return. But it, what's so important about this is it takes place in time. It's real. It's going to be a historical moment on the calendar. We're going to wake up and be on our way to work and Jesus is going to appear in the sky and we won't have to go to work that day. You know, it's going to be a great day. Danny and I were talking about that day on the way to church tonight, right? That's going to be a great day, but it will be a particular day, right? All right. So next set of verses, um, and I think you'll see the context. Um, here's a prayer. Save me from, and then you work out the details. It didn't flip. Now I work out the details. How about that? It's not that hard. Y'all are working too hard. Save me from what? Lion's mouth. Lion's mouth. Thank you. <laughs> that was hard. Save me from what? Enemies. Enemies. Now you, we can think of those physical. I'm sure Moses was when he wrote this. But what is our greater concern now? Our spiritual enemy, right? And you know that's a real thing. You guys are so concerned of your own sin, and I told you I really appreciated that last week, that we cannot forget that we do have someone that hates us and wishes to destroy us and, and would kill us if God did not keep him from it. We always think, well, he just wants to make things rough. No, he would destroy us all if God moved his hand back from our life. I mean, you can look at Job, right? Devil went as far as God allowed him to go, but he went the whole way as far as God allowed him to go. And he'd go further in all of our lives if the Lord let him. And so, even before, we, our salvation. Even before hell, well, he'd love that, right? 
like? Yeah, I mean, he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And God keeps him from it every day. All right, what does he want salvation from there? Our own iniquity. Very good. And what is this one? Ah, yeah, okay. What do we want salvation from there? Sickness. We forget that. Let's don't get too theologically brainy that we forget to pray for people that are just sick, right? Physically sick. Uh, what about there? We've kind of repeated that one. Stress. Stress, yeah. Um, and then there. Do what? Blood guiltiness. And if you want a different word, there you go. And of course, that's the grand thing we want salvation from, right? I mean, if you don't save me from sickness, if you don't save me from trouble, if you don't save me from my enemies, save me from my sin, right? That's the ultimate salvation. So Yahweh delivers us from our enemies. And then... This is interesting. These, this set is interesting. So again, we're, we're developing a theology of salvation based on the Old Testament. And this one's going to be a little more difficult. And I'll probably show you all the passages and get them in your brain. And then we'll kind of go back and look to them. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. So it's already happened. I, even I am the Lord. There is no Savior besides me. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed and there was no strange God among you. So you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. He says it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light to the nations so that my, so that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. And last one. It will come about that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you that you may become a blessing. Do not fear, let your hands be strong. So you look at that whole set <coughs> and we'll break them down. But when you follow these shoes, when you look at that whole set, what do you, can you draw a conclusion from in considering all those? It's tough. Okay, that's a, that's a part. Think broader. That was... Where was that? There you go. So, that's a part of it. Okay, that's really getting close. Probably passes for good enough on a multiple choice test. But again, it's still a little too specific. Okay, let's, let's just think about the first verse. Let's do the pieces and see if you can get the whole puzzle. In verse 1, what's going on here? Huh? Praising for salvation. So, reword that in the form of a question. No, I'm not, we're not playing that game. You're, yeah. But think about purpose. You were saved to? Thank you. 
you were saved for the purpose of worship, right? So when we look at this, you are saved for the purpose of? Saved for the purpose of what? Giving testimony to. Not to keep our mouths closed, but to give testimony to, right? Um, Nathan mentioned this. Kind of similar, maybe a little different. We're saved for the purpose of? Think New Testament. Think Matthew 28. <laughs> Taking the gospel to the nations. And finally, we're saved for what purpose? It'd be a blessing to the nations. So when we look at this as a whole, salvation is always deliverance to the Lord. It's from our enemies, our troubles, our sins. It's always from something, but it's always to something. And this is the part that the church has a tendency to forget. We've been saved for a purpose and we cannot neglect that purpose. It wasn't just so we can go to heaven, right? It's to worship and serve. It's always been to worship and serve. And so if you ever ask the question, I don't know why God saved me. I do. It's for the purpose of worshiping and serving. And we serve by being a blessing, being a witness, making disciples. And that needs to be our motivation for every single day. You don't, don't think about Monday. You can text me this and say, do you remember your own words? When you wake up on Monday morning, don't go out of the house thinking about what you got to do all day, just coming off the weekend, when you think about, I was saved for the purpose of worship and service, and I've been given a platform to do that at work, well, that reshapes work, right? So th those are some good things that we would do each other some good to text and remind each other every day because we forget. We get, we get buried in our stuff, but we've been all been given platforms um, to worship and serve, right? And if you work with sick folks, that's a really good platform. Really good platform, right? All right, let me keep moving. Um, this one is, I think, really difficult. Okay, let me read the set. There's just a couple of things. For by their own sword... They did not possess the land. Their own arm did not save them. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your presence saved them, for you favored them. As for me, Psalm 55, I shall call upon God and the Lord will save me. Preserve my soul, Psalm 86, for I'm a godly man. O oh, you, my God, save your servant who trust in you. Psalm 138, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand will save me. So when you look at that set as a whole, what can be said about our salvation? It's from the Lord and what comes from us? Don't say nothing. You just, if you realize all of these are really a request for salvation, 
then you can begin to work out the theology of these passages. Especially Psalms 55. Or that one. Or even that prayer. What does that prayer require to be prayed? How about that question? Trouble. Okay, that's true. What else is required for that prayer to be prayed? Faith. Faith. Trust. I mean, obviously, if you're calling out to God, there is a measure of faith in your heart that God will save and that God can save. And so when you look at all these, so let me read back through this. Salvation is always the work, the sovereign work of God. Salvation is always accomplished in history. It's real. Salvation is our deliverance from enemies, including our sin. Salvation is always deliverance from something, but also to the Lord and salvation is experienced by faith in God. Okay? We trust, therefore we call. And all that's in the Old Testament. That's kind of surprising, isn't it? You see, God built the foundation for salvation in the New Testament based on the Old Testament. And so we come into the, into the New Testament. This is, this, this is where I began to flip in my understanding many, many, many years ago. Okay, if that's the way God saved in the Old Testament... Is God going to save any different in the New Testament? Not at all. Our salvation is solely going to be based on His power, His right hand, His work, and not mine. Never in the Old Testament was the offer of salvation. In the Old Testament, it was always the accomplishment, not the offer, the accomplishment of the salvation of His people. And of course, there's always faith on the table. Well, not always. Often faith was on the table, sometimes not. All right, question about the Old Testament and, this, <coughs> and the New Testaments. It's shorter, but we'll work out some pre preliminary thoughts about New Testament salvation. You good? See that? Don't just read it. That's what I'm trying to get you on a Bible study or your personal time. Don't just read it. I mean, if you want to read the whole book of Romans in one sitting, fine. But at some point in time, read just one or two verses and contemplate, well, if that's true, then, right? All right. What do you learn from 1 Thessalonians 5, 9? Yeah, so salvation is a work of who? Solely. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through Christ. Or, another one, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brother, and beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. He's done something, and we experience it through faith in the work of the Spirit. Okay? So when you roll in the New Testament, just like the Old Testament, the whole initiative of salvation is with God. 
This one's a lot easier. So what can you tell me about salvation in regard to that passage? Any other place? Any other names? Any other religions? Any other ways? I mean, it's not. It's very exclusive. Very exclusive. There is no room for any other God. There is no room for any other way. There is no man that will experience salvation and never have known the name Jesus Christ. It's just not there. Okay. Um, these are tough. I think I got a group of these. Uh, yeah. So let's just do the pieces and then I'll ask you for the whole. So Matthew 9, 21. By the word, by the way, there's your word, sozo. What is God saving from in that circumstance? Illness. Illness, right? Uh Luke 8, 36, what is God saving from? Yeah, there's a word, sozo. Um, what is God saving from? Luke 19, 10. Lostness, right? And then finally, nope, two more. What is God saving from? What is God saving from? So we put all these thoughts together. What can we say about the salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ? It's a total salvation. It's not a bits and pieces sort of thing. The reason I bring that up is I had a good friend that got messed up in some bad theology one time. I was talking about his spirit was saved, but he was working hard in order that his soul might say, get saved. And even to the salvation of the body or something. It was built off of bad theology. I think of Watchman Nee and the Trinity of Man. It was weird. But that's not the picture that you get in the scriptures. You're saved, the whole of you. There's no parts of you, right? Um, you're not working to earn your soul or your body or anything like that. When Christ saves, it's the whole, okay? Um, just one more thought, and I think we're done. How many verses do I have here? Yeah, this is it. All right, so look at this set. And again, New Testament theological thought about salvation uh, Jeremy, read these because I'm about to cough, and I'll sp I'll flip it after you read it. Okay. Do this, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believe. I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 
So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. All right. Oh, I got another one. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So what do we understand in New Testament theology in regard to our salvation? It takes place in time. In time and not yet. Not yet. We're still looking for our salvation. Y'all see how all those passages point to that one truth? And so this is what you do. Typically in biblical theology, it's what he's doing. So what he did is he went through every passage in the New Testament that contained that root word sozo. And you look at all those passages and you consider all those passages in all their context and you understand if these principles are true, then we can draw this conclusion about our salvation. And so we just work through a number of them, not even close to half, but you understand salvation from God is wholly based on His initiative. Jesus is at the very center of God's saving work. Salvation in the New Testament always involves a total salvation, and salvation is eschatological, which means we look forward to it ultimately and finally. Okay? All right, so we got a lot more work to do, but that's kind of the picture of where we're headed once we get to the end of, I don't know, several more months, I guess. We're going to take our time. Questions? Questions?